All right, so a couple of announcements before we get started again. We're so glad you guys are here. We've already had a full first service, ton of people here. It was packed, people watching online. So we are super excited you're here for this Christmas week. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, as you guys know, this week to uh, respond to kind of all the tragedy that happened in Mayfield, uh, Lynette Ward with the Dream Express, she took a, uh, her bus down there to hand out books and presents. And you guys, we had so many presents. Over 4,000 presents uh, were donated to give it to kids. Yeah. <clears throat> She had so many, she couldn't take them all, and so there's a bunch upstairs, so they're going to plan a trip. For a lot of people have been asking, uh, we're going to give it a few weeks. Uh, we've been talking to a lot of relief workers, and so there's still a lot of chaos kind of going on down there. We will probably start taking trips uh, to different areas starting in January, and so if you're interested, we'll get you that information. We'll probably take some day trips, weekend trips uh, to help out, but we're kind of letting everything unfold to see where we can be used at the best. So thank you guys again for that. We got a new podcast that dropped this week, Divinely Uninspired. Uh, it's number 11. If you have been listening, we have so many. I am still amazed how many people are listening to this podcast and how I still have a job after some of the things I say on that podcast. Uh, but it is a lot of fun making it. We're having a lot of fun. We actually answered some good questions this week that you guys had submitted in. And so make sure you listen to that. We have a new one, a Christmas one will drop uh, next week as well. 2021 budget is available. Uh, if you're new here, you can just ignore this part. But every year we release our budget of where all the money that you give to this organization, to this church is spent. Um, and so that is available on the app or you can pick up a copy of it at the Welcome Center. If you have any questions about that, feel free to ask. We don't hide anything around here. There's no secret money. We talk about everything openly, and so you can ask any questions that you want. I will say there are a couple of year-end expenses. If you're new, just cover your ears right now. Uh, but if you come to Journey, there are a couple year-end expenses that popped up. So if you haven't given in a while, or maybe you've thought about giving, this might be a good time to do that. Uh, you can give through the app or through the donation boxes, the offering boxes at the main two entrances as well. We never talk about money, but just there it is. All right. Also, Christmas Eve, we have three Christmas Eve services coming up. So the first one takes place on Thursday the 23rd. So that's Thursday night at 7 p.m. There will be uh, stuff offered from birth all the way through fourth and fifth grade. If you have middle school and high schoolers, um, then they will be in here with us. And then again, we will offer on Friday, September, or not September, Friday, September 24th, Friday, December 24th, Christmas Eve at 7 and 9 p.m. Uh, and same thing, we'll have child care all the way through birth, all the way through fourth and fifth grade. And then if you have any middle school or high schoolers, they'll be in here with us. Feel free to bring your kids in their pajamas if you would like. We have a lot of fun with it. And so those are the Christmas Eve services. There will be no in-person services next Sunday. Uh, we take that week off after Christmas to, for our staff and volunteers to have a week with their families. There will be an online family service that we're putting together right now. So you can go on Facebook, YouTube, or on the app and watch that together as a family. It'll be stuff for the kids and the adults as well with that. And that'll be streaming next Sunday, the 26th. But there will be no in-person services on the 26th. And then we'll meet back up right after New Year's. Now, we are in the middle of this series that we've been doing and I have enjoyed the content of this series because it's pushed me to do a little bit more research and study. And so I, and I just love the idea that comes out of it. And so we're this in-between series. We're right in the middle of it. And so we've got two weeks before we've already covered. We've got two weeks after this. Um, and I encourage you to go back and listen to everything that we've talked about um, because it's fascinating the story that we find ourselves in. And this story that we've been talking and unfolding started with a simple question, a question that's a bit rhetorical if you've been here. But the question is this. Do you ever get the feeling the world isn't the way it's supposed to be? And the obvious answer is yes. It, 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 there's this weird feeling that is deep down inside of us that's just not the way it's supposed to be, that something has gone off the rails. And so we've been going through the entire story of the Bible. And so we started with there's a tree, then there was a temptation, then a tragedy, 
a promise, and last week we looked at the altar system. Today we're going to shift a little bit in our, our story and kind of get into the Christmas spirit, uh, but to start that, I have to introduce a word to you, a word that many of you are familiar with, but maybe you don't know the whole story behind, and that is the word Advent. Now, the reason most people are familiar with the word Advent is because many of us in our house probably have an Advent calendar, right? It's a box, usually, that you keep, and it's got little doors on it, little things that you open up, and there's often we put little pieces of candy or money or toys in there for our children. I saw recently adults are getting in on it. There is an Advent wine box, and, and yeah, somebody's really excited. And there's even one for bourbon this year. And so if you're from Kentucky and love your bourbon, there's a bad bit bourbon uh, Advent calendar as well. But Advent is essentially this period of four weeks that leads up to Christmas Eve. The word Advent is a Latin word, and it means to come, that what is to come. And so if something is about to happen, something is coming, like we're waiting right now, our kids are waiting for Santa Claus to come to our houses. So you're in this period where you're waiting for something, which also means not only is something coming, but also it's a period of waiting. And here's what I know about you and I know about me. We are not very good at waiting, are we? In fact, we're terrible at it. Last night, I was at a party, and so there were two basketball games that were going on that I had some interest in. Um, One of them turned out well, and one of them, for some of us, did not turn out very well. And so I'm at this party, and I'm trying to engage in the party, and so I want to check the scores of these basketball games. And so I'm at this this house, and I open up my ESPN app. I had to wait a whole 10 seconds for me to get the score to the game. And I'll be honest with you, in that moment, I was like, this is taking forever. And it was 10 seconds before I saw the score of the game, right? Another example of this is is music. Um, If you're in your car and you want to listen to a song, I mean, with Apple Music and Spotify and whatever other services you may use, I mean, it is on demand. You have access to almost any song you could want to listen to, and you can be listening to it within seconds, right? And it's amazing. And and, and you know what? I was at the gym the other day, and I was wanting to listen to this playlist that I hadn't downloaded yet, but I have streaming services, so I thought it was good. And so I hit the song, and 25 seconds later, it finally kicks in. And do you know what my first thought was? I need to get a new phone. Because I had to wait 25 seconds for a song to start. I mean, that's insane. I I do remember, and you guys will relate to this, I remember years ago, years ago, I went to go into my buddy's house. And he had a Dell computer, an AOL, and it was the disk. Remember the disk? You had the free disks? And we logged into a Russian website to download the latest Blink-182 and Rage Against the Machine album. And it took 14 hours <laughs> for that to download and to burn onto disks. And we thought it was awesome. And today, if it takes me 30 seconds to hear a song, something's wrong. Or how about this? Food. I do, I do not understand our city's obsession with fast food. It is insane. It doesn't matter what time of day you go, there's going to be a line at every single restaurant in our town. And my rule is, if there's more than five cars in line, I'm not going to wait. The only place I will wait if there's more than five cars in line is Chick-fil-A. That is the only place, because I know it's not going to be long. My other rule is, if there's two cars in line at this Taco Bell right here, I'm not waiting. Because that is an hour and a half of your life you will never, ever get back. I, I, I need to talk to the people over there because something's broken. And, you know, how about this? You text somebody and you're texting them. And what happens? You text them. Now, when you text somebody, and we're going to have a whole sermon series about this because this drives me crazy. 
The expectation is what? That you're going to text immediately back. And what the worst thing you can see is what? The three little dots, right? Because that means they're thinking about it. And so what happens if you text somebody and they don't text back within 30 seconds or so, what happens, the first thought is there's something wrong with my phone. There's something wrong with their phone. And then if it's been more than like two minutes, there's something wrong with us. We, we must, we're, we're broken up. We're done. We're not friends anymore. They're dead. I don't know what's going on because we hate to wait. And then you have this whole season. I mean, waiting for Christmas presents. I mean, some of us, let's be honest, I, I'm a sucker. Like, I, I cannot wait to give my kids their presents. And every year, inevitably, at some point this week, they will get to open one of their presents because they ask, and I'm a sucker. And I just say, sure, go for it. We hate waiting. And so we find ourselves in this season, and Advent represents a season of something that's about to happen, but because it hasn't happened fully yet, we are in a season of waiting. Now, now the invention of the Advent season, especially if you grew up in a Catholic tradition or in a mainline tradition, which would be your Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans, they had built into their yearly idea a liturgical calendar, okay? And in that liturgical calendar, there were a couple of big ones that stuck out. There was the season of Lent to Easter, and then there was the season of Advent to Christmas. And these were big deals. I mean, these were a big part of this. And everything else, which I found is fascinating, everything else on the calendar was called ordinary time. And so you have like these two big seasons, okay, that you look forward to, you anticipate, but in reality, Lent and Advent are both seasons of waiting. And I think what's interesting about that idea is that what we see in life is that life is a, a series of events that unfold in which there's waiting, and then something happens, and then waiting, and then something happens, and there's these ebbs and flows. There's actually what seems to be a rhythm to life. There's also a rhythm that we see unfold in Scripture that kind of corresponds with this idea of the rhythm of life. For example, in the beginning, as we studied a few weeks ago, we see chaos to order. We see an Exodus story, captivity to freedom. We see the idea of darkness to light, of despair to hope, of mourning to dancing. And so there's this season where we're waiting, there's chaos, there's captivity, there's darkness, there's despair, there's mourning. We're waiting for something to happen. And I think this is interesting because this season that we find ourselves in, Christmas, it's the happiest time of the year, right? I mean, that's what the songs tell us. That's what the movies tell us. It's a season of joy and light and songs and celebration. But for many people, it's also a season of heartache. It's a season where many of us look forward to everything that comes with it. But for many of us, it's a season where we're forced to remember those who aren't with us. It's a season where we have to remember the people that won't be around the table this year. It's also a season, depending on what's happened to you in your life this year, that while there's lights and music and sound, those things cannot drown out our pain. And so it's a season where we must pay attention to all that's around us, including our sickness, our sadness, our suffering, and we do this because it also reminds us that while we set in those things, that God is also paying attention to the same things that we're going through. 
It's a time to acknowledge for our deep longing for everything to be made right. And what emerges from the Christmas story from this season and from the Advent going into the celebration is the belief that God has met us exactly where we are as we are. One of the things that drives me crazy about our culture is we don't allow for lingering in the deep very long. What we want to do is we want to rush past all of that and just jump into the cheerful, joyful goodness of everything. We don't want to spend time in the pain and in the mourning. What we often don't realize is everything that causes great rejoicing is because there was a season where that wasn't there, where there was waiting for this to happen. Everything that we rejoice is because something we had to go through happened to us, and now we're out of that season, or something has happened, and now we get to rejoice, but we don't like the longing, and we don't like the waiting. We don't like the expecting. We just want it to be here. And so Advent every year makes us slow down a little bit and to wait, to wait for this story to unfold, that for generations, God's people waited for the fulfillment of countless prophecies of a Messiah, a King, and a Savior, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. Since the promise that we studied a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3, to the promise made to Abraham, to the exodus of Moses, to the reign of King David that they so highly anticipated coming again, they waited and they longed and they sat in the deep and they sat in the pain and they sat in the hurt and they waited. When you pick up your Bible and you flip through it, a couple things that you have to know is it's not written in chronological order is a shock to many people, but, but even if it was, when you get to the end pages of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, for us, we just flip a few pages, and we're all of a sudden in the Gospel of Matthew. What we don't realize is that in between those few pages that you flip over represents 400 years of silence. 400 years. Think about that. That is older than the history of our country. That's almost six generations of people where there's just silence. When it seems as if God is absent, when it seems as if God is not paying attention, six generations. I mean, I challenge you, can you even go back six generations in your family? At the point where we see the New Testament begin, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the writers that are telling us these stories that happened before them, what we find at this point in the story is that people are just going through the motions. It's just religion. It's just what we're supposed to do. As we studied last week, the altar, the temple culture, it's become corrupt. And in that corrupt, religious, just toxic world that they find themselves in, a prophecy that we introduced last week is made. And in Luke chapter 1, as Luke is researching everything that happened so he can record it as accurately as possible so that we can one day read these words, what we see is this. It says in verse 8, One day Zechariah, who you learned about last week, was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week, as was custom of the priest. He was chosen by a lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. What's fascinating about this verse is this. 
that, that in this, what we see is that finally Zechariah gets to go into the temple and do this. And what's crazy is, I, I was reading this, that there were so many priests at the time and so many different kind of things that worked around that. You might spend your entire life and never get to do this. And Zechariah has this moment where he's been waiting, he's been working, he's been anticipating, and now he finally gets this moment. And it says in verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. It's this thing that we offered up, we talked about last week to God. Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, this verse, a couple things about it. Did you know, and we're going to talk about it more on Thursday and Friday if you come back, is, is this. Don't be afraid, fear not. That idea of not being afraid is the most commonly, one of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible. Why is it that God has to constantly remind us not to be afraid? And the answer is because there's so much in our world that we fear. There's so much in our lives that we fear. And it's like this reminder over and over again, don't be afraid. And then the second line is this, God has heard your prayer. This is a throwback to the, the beginning of the Exodus story when we hear that God has heard the cries of his people. And what I love about this is this. Here, here's what's true of me, and I'm probably thinking it's true of you. I would give just about anything to know that God heard me. And I think some of you might feel the same way, that we pray and we long and we sing and to know that God actually heard you. And the angel says, verse 13, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have a great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. There's a part of me that this story is, is personal, not only for them, but also for, for me. I mean, here is, is Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and they've been waiting their whole life. And, and we don't see this, but we have to read between the lines. They don't have any children. And the way Zechariah responds when this announcement is made, it, it brings him this joy. And I remember, I, I mean, we've t heard this story before. I mean, there was a time when me and my wife thought we couldn't have kids. And it was a long season. And I know some of you, you're still in that season or you've been through that season and you can relate to that. I, I remember I tell the story that there was one day there was a, an insurance lady we were talking through because we exhausted as much as we could because we wanted to start a family. And I was talking to this lady and I'm sure she just, she didn't mean anything by it, I, I'm sure. But she said something along the lines of like, well, well maybe, maybe this isn't just going to happen for you. I have never wanted to cuss somebody out so bad in my entire life. And I know she was just probably doing her job and didn't. But that pain of wanting that and it not happening. And so now all of a sudden the silence has been broken. A pronouncement has been made. And he finds out he's getting a child. And then here's what the angel says about John. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah who will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. And watch how carefully he says the next line. And my wife is also well along in years. He knew you do not refer to your wife as old. And I love this next part. One of the things we have to realize is things that we see in the Bible are not normative, which means this. 
when you read something in the Bible, the reason it's in there is because it was completely out of the ordinary, okay? Well, we shouldn't expect the things that happen in the Bible to always happen to us. In verse 19, the angel said, okay, because he's kind of arguing back with him, I am a Gabriel. I am Gabriel. The Greek translation to English would be this, dude, I'm an angel, <laughs> Like, if an angel appears to me, I'm pretty much going to believe anything that it says at that point, right? This is not normal for an angel to appear to you. I am Gabriel, which means he's like one of the big ones too, okay? <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And now Zechariah has to enter a season of what? Waiting. So who is this child? Well, it's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Jesus says later of John the Baptist that there hasn't been a greater man to ever walk the earth. So later in the story after the season of waiting that we all have to go through, we have a child. um, Zechariah is finally able to speak again. And when he's able to speak, he, he writes a song, a poem down that's in his heart that God has placed there. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, we see this intimate moment where, where John is going, or Zechariah is going to express what John means to him, but also something else. And you, my little son, you'll be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And then maybe one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And here's what I know as we're in this season that some of us in this room or in the previous service or listening online, you feel as if you're sitting in the darkness. And you feel as if the shadow of death is pressing down upon you. And all you want is peace. This is the prophecy that God, though seemingly silent, has been working. Paul tells us in Galatians that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Another translation of that same verse says, at the culmination of the ages. This is really good news, and I love it. It's beautiful scripture. I think it's poetic the way that he wrote it. But but here's the thing. Um, See, we're on this side of the poem. And so Jesus, spoiler, Jesus is going to be born... And there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going to happen. And then he's going to die. He's going to resurrect, which nobody thought was possible. He's going to go to the Father. And it's this amazing thing. But here's the problem. We're still here waiting, aren't we? And so we're like in this season where God fulfills the covenant that they waited for. And then we're given a promise that now we're waiting for. 
And did I mention earlier that we all hate to wait? And so the story gets a little complicated for us because we're in this season where, again, we're forced to wait. That the redemption of God has only started to begin. It's a magnificent only. The blood is shed. The debt is paid. Forgiveness is purchased. Adoption is secured. The future is sure. Joy is great. We can have joy. But here's the catch. The end is not yet. And the reason we know the end is not yet is because death still snatches away our loved ones. Disease still makes us miserable. Cancer still haunts our lives. Evil still prowls. Flesh still wins against our spirit. The way Paul writes it is it's almost like we're groaning inwardly, awaiting the redemption. And so just like those long ago, we find ourselves in a season of waiting, an advent. I came across this article a few years ago that, that made me kind of see this season in a different light. Did you know that during the Advent season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve that will turn into Christmas and celebration of Christmas, um, did you know that about 3.7 million people will die during Advent? Over a half a million of them will be children. On average, about 105 to 115 people die every minute that we're alive. And very few of those deaths will ever make the news. Most people will live and die with only a few close at hand knowing. And then we think about the diagnosis that people are getting. We think about the pain that people are living through the anxiety that people are living through, the depression that people are living through. There's not a single soul in this room or that will walk the earth that sorrow will not touch. And that is what makes the waiting so hard. The longing, the aching, the yearning. Paul has this interesting idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. You can throw it up there. And he talks about this idea where he talks about our hearts are aching, but we have joy. And it's like this weird world where I saw a speaker recently. He talked about this idea that, that, that pain and joy kind of set on like the same shelf like in our hearts. And then he ends this idea with, he says, we own nothing. Because it feels like sometimes just, we're, just, we're grasping for straws. And then he says, that, yeah, at the same time, we have everything. And so we're in this season of something's happened and something will happen. We're in this season in between where we wait. We don't like to wait. But here's some things maybe we can do to help us in the waiting, some practical things. The first thing that we can do is we have to acknowledge the darkness. I was reading recently, and a scholar was talking about Christmas. And in case you don't know, Jesus wasn't born in December, okay? We probably think he was born in the spring while we have December, there's a whole thing. There was a pagan holiday. We took it over because that's what Christians do. And then there's this whole other thing that happens out of it. That's true, by the way. But, but essentially, the scholar gets down to the point and says, one of the reasons they think that they picked the month of December was it was a solstice, a pagan thing that happened. Um, but also that December is traditionally the darkest month of the year. And so the darkest month of the year is the time we celebrate the brightest light on earth. 
So maybe we need to acknowledge the darkness around us. The second thing is we reflect. We reflect not only on the world that we find ourselves in, but we reflect on ourselves. We, re- we reflect on the things going on around us. One of the fascinating things is that you can take a dark house and you can light it with candles or plug in a Christmas tree or Christmas lights on the outside, and it, it illuminates because even the smallest light, that's what it does. It illuminates. And so maybe part of it is to allow our hearts and our minds and our lives to be illuminated by the light of the season. One of my favorite quotes is by this philosopher, and here's what he says. He says, with the arrival of the Advent, Christians everywhere turn again towards the Savior. Advent marks the beginning of the celebration of his birth and his long-foretold ministry, atonement, death, resurrection, and second coming. If Advent is an occasion where I return my eyes to the Savior, then it is also an invitation to consider where my eyes and heart have been in the meantime. Advent is the gentle nudge that invites me to remember that the truth, trust, the truth, mo, worse, mo, the tr- truth <laughs> most worth knowing is that Jesus is the only way home. It is also a gentle reminder that I ought to keep my eyes upon him all year long. And so maybe it's a time where you should reflect on yourself. The other thing that, that happens during Christmas is a great time to serve. There are so many people that this is not the happiest time of the year. There are so many people that will not have the meals that we get to have and the Christmases that we get to have and the toys that we get to have. There are many people, many in this room, that this is a hard time. There are many people that will find themselves in the hospital this time of year. There are people that we know that homes and lives were destroyed just last week. There are neighbors that you have that every day set in the pain of darkness. So we can serve them. We can love them. We can practice hospitality. We can invite them over for a meal. We can share of our celebrations. We can take them a meal. We can buy them gifts. We can do whatever your heart desires. There's always something to be done. It's are you available to do it? I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, At this Christmas, when Christ comes, will he find a warm heart? Speaking of you and me. Mark the season of Advent by loving and serving the others with God's own love and concern. Another thing that I highly recommend that I've had to do recently is you just take a break. We get so busy that sometimes we don't realize where we actually are. And we don't realize what's going on in our minds. We don't go on in our hearts. Because we just, we just fill our life with all of this stuff. And you know what I think? And I didn't say this the first service. And this is going to be a judgment on our culture. But sometimes you need to say it. I think the reason some of us stay so, miser- so busy is because we don't want to take the time to realize how miserable we actually are. And as long as we stay busy, we won't realize it. And so maybe part of Advent is a time to stop. Maybe you need to take a few days off of social media. Maybe you don't need to go to one more thing because Santa's pretty much the same everywhere. And Christmas lights, they're kind of the same. Maybe you need to put your phone down for a few days. Maybe you need to take a break. Maybe some of us, we do so much this season, we never actually take a moment to enjoy it. And then lastly, maybe we need to refocus. A new year approaches. A new start, 
And so Advent is the season of waiting of something that's going to happen that we get to celebrate. But also within our calendar year, it's this time where we reflect and we think about, okay, something new is about to happen. What, what do we want to do then? And then in all of that waiting and all of that pain, December 25th rolls around and the calendar closes and the celebration begins. Because Advent is a season of waiting, but it's also a season of knowing. It's a season where we know that God hasn't abandoned us in our fallen world. Advent reminds us of the extravagant links that God has gone to to rescue us and to restore us. And Advent reminds us that God has the upper hand even when the opposite seems true. And so we have this feeling that the world is not right and the way it should be. Do you know the easiest thing to do in today's world is to be cynical? And we can be cynical of so many things, and, and so many, I almost feel like cynicism is like the new religion of our world. One of my favorite authors recently put this quote out there, and I, I'm talking about, I have to read it all the time. I can be cynical. And he says, sometimes you can see through everything, and in turn, you see nothing at all. So whatever your cynicism is, Advent works against that corrosion in your heart. And it says that God has not abandoned us, and there is acknowledgement the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. That hope is real and that something is coming. It acknowledges that the not yet will be worth it when it comes. I love this quote from Katrina Whitley, and she says this. She's a Greek philosopher, but she's pretty smart. She says this. What does matter is that you understand this one great truth I have learned in my life. Having knowledge, even at the expense of leaving the garden, has been worth it. For it is through this great gift of knowledge that I have understood something of the Creator's power, yes, even the Creator's love. Out of what seemed punishment came a great good. Out of physical pain, all of you have emerged. The pain has been forgotten while the pleasure of your presence endures. Adam and I have known joy, speaking of the original story. How would we have tasted it if we had not known its opposite sorrow? I love this. And we have seen how darkness is dispelled when light arrives, night and day after night and day, we never tire of it. Or, as Yi tells us, that's Kanye West for you older folks, even if you're not ready for the day, it cannot always be night. So a light is coming. And so we trust in the words that Zachariah spoke all of those years ago. Because of God's tender mercy, this morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. So far in our story, there's been a tree and a temptation and a tragedy and a promise and an altar and now an announcement. So what comes next? Brian McLaren says, politicians compete for the highest offices, business tycoons scramble for a bigger and bigger piece of the pie. Armies march and scientists study and philosophers philosophize, and preachers preach and laborers sweat. But in that silent baby lying in that humble manger, their pulses more potential power and wisdom and grace and aliveness 
than all of the rest of us can imagine. So what happens next? I think you already know, but you'll just have to come back next week to talk about it. Let's pray.